Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're continuing our series called Israel's Greatest Philosopher. Too often we go through life assuming the answers to life's biggest questions. What gives life satisfaction? How can I find meaning? What's the point of it all? Ecclesiastes gives answers that change how we see our lives and our place in the world. Today we're talking about finding satisfaction in our finances. Think about the energy and money that parents pour into children to help them earn money. Years of schooling, extracurricular activities they hope will shape them, thousands of dollars on post-secondary education, and then prepping them for interviews, networking, and job hunting. It's a big investment. Now, how much do they spend on teaching children to be content with their money? How much thought is given to helping them find satisfaction with what they have? Often a parent's example can communicate toxic values in this area. The college admission scandal of 2019 was probably the latest extreme case of this. 33 parents accused of paying more than $25 million to raise their children's test scores and bribe their way into prestigious universities. Full House star Lori Lachlan was sentenced to two months in federal prison, ordered to do 100 hours of community service, and fined $150,000. When the judge delivered the sentence, he said the following, Here you are, an admired, successful, professional actor with a long-lasting marriage, two apparently healthy, resilient children, more of the money than you could possibly meet, need, a beautiful home in sunny Southern California. A fairy tale life yet you stand before me a convicted felon. And for what? For the inexplicable desire to grasp even more. <laughs> Don't you love the passion of some of these judges? You were living the dream and now you're going to jail and it's all for the inexplicable desire to grasp even more. Now you and I might not be famous enough to have our grasping for more advertised like that, but we have to deal with the same pull, right? How do you get past that? How do you find satisfaction in your finances? Ecclesiastes 5, verses 10 to 20 gives us answers. If you have your Bible, turn with me there. And if you don't have a Bible, you can click on the link for today's passage in the description below. Ecclesiastes 5, starting at verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of, that, of the rich will not let them sleep. There's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go, and what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them, and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. 
for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. This is the word of God. Now, the philosopher gives us three principles in this passage, two negative and one positive. The first is this, satisfaction isn't found in more money. Making another $50,000 a year won't solve your problems. The answer isn't there. Satisfaction isn't found in more money. Now, verse 10 sounds like a proverb. It says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with it nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Now you need money to buy your groceries and pay for your gas. Some money is necessary, but he's saying it's a terrible lover. Now I think it's hard to hear this voice because I don't think anyone would say that they love money. It's talking about the way you might have felt toward a high school crush. You think about them all the time. It feels like your life would be different with them. They feel like the answer to what you need. Ever treat money like that? When money or the things that money can buy take on that kind of focus, you're in trouble because you're treating money like you're treating, treating it as an answer, but it can't fix you. You're obsessing over something that won't satisfy you. Money's necessary, but it's a terrible lover. Now, verse 11 adds to the picture. It says, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? You would think the more you have, the less you need. You kind of reach a natural fill point. But the philosopher warns that the opposite is the case. The more you have, the more expenses you have. The bigger the house, the more furniture you need. Everything you buy has to be maintained and then replaced. And the more you have, the more you see that you want. More money doesn't satisfy. Verse 12 makes a comparison between, say, a bricklayer and a hedge fund manager. It says, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. He's saying that there's a stress that comes, a pressure that comes with the money that we're often unprepared for. The higher the salary, the higher the expectation. But that's just the physical side of things. The spiritual pressures are even greater. That's why Paul warned Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 9, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. How many times have you heard stories of parents who have made incredible sacrifices so that their child could go to university or become an actor or a singer? And what do they always say? I just wanted them to have a better life. They never think that the life that they've provided for them might actually be a, a trap or what Paul calls a snare. It never occurs to anyone that they could be setting their child up for moral or spiritual temptations that could ruin them. But I think we need to have our eyes open to that potential. I think we need to approach more with a lot of caution. I think we need to be ready for the dangers that come with riches because most people aren't prepared for them. So satisfaction isn't found in more money. It also isn't found in my money. It's not just the pursuit of more that we need to guard against. We also need to catch our tendency to grasp at money and treat it selfishly and defensively. Satisfaction isn't found in my money. Now from verses 13 to 17, 
the philosopher gives us a case study in financial ruin. He paints a financial picture that we don't often consider. He tells the story of a man who made some good money. He may not have been rich by some people's standards, but he had a nest egg. He'd worked hard for his money, and so he was gonna make sure no one got their hands on it. When his family had needs, he said, back off, that's my money. When he saw people in trouble, he thought to himself, they should have worked harder the way I did. He didn't give to God, and he didn't even spend on himself. He just wanted to know that the money was there and it was safe. Finally, an opportunity came to invest it. A sure thing. The deal was too good to pass up. He'd have more security for his future, more reward for his hard work, and a bigger bank account to show for it. Only, the sure thing wasn't so sure. Everything seemed to be going his way until it didn't, and he lost everything. After all the work and all the sacrifice, after all he had done to keep everyone's hands off it, it was gone. His son would have nothing to inherit but poverty. Verse 17 ends his story with these words. Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. It's a picture of hopelessness, but also of frustration and anger and the toll that those kinds of feelings will have on the body and physical sickness. The philosopher is warning that what happens when we hoard money, when we try to keep a tight grip on money. He's saying it becomes toxic in our hands and has a way of slipping through them. And I wonder if you experience any of that. Could some of the frustrations you have with money come from your attitude toward it? Is generosity something that you struggle with? Proverbs 28.22 puts it this way. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Now that verse reminds me of Steve Wynn's purchase of Picasso's painting, The Dream, in 1997. He bought it for $47 million. It seems like an incredible amount. But within 10 years, he completed a deal to sell it for $139 million, almost tripling his investment. It would have set the record for an art sale. But just after completing the deal, he was talking and showing off his painting to some friends, and he actually put his elbow through the canvas, causing a six-inch tear. The deal was off. The value of the painting dropped by $54 million. Hoarded money has a way of growing legs. When it's all about me, there's no satisfaction in it. So we've said that satisfaction isn't found in more money or in me money. But it's not that, it's not that poverty is necessarily the solution either. So the philosopher ends by telling us that satisfaction is found in God's gift of contentment. Trying to find satisfaction in more or in protecting what we have doesn't work. We need to seek God who alone can give us the power to enjoy what we have. Satisfaction is found in God's gift of contentment. Now, by verse 18, we've reached the climax of the passage. You know that in part because it starts with my favorite Hebrew word. Some of you have heard me say that, behold, translates a word that's like, get this. The hairs on the back of your head are supposed to tingle a little bit in excitement. Let's see what we're to behold. Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Now, 
this is just the beginning. So if you're not getting what you should be, you should behold yet, be patient. When he talks about what he's seen to be good, it's a direct contrast to verse 13, where he told us about a grievous evil that he had seen. Compared to the evil of going about angry, frustrated, and miserable, trying to hoard money that you may end up losing anyway, he says what's good is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in your toil. It's an invitation to enjoy the meal and the people that are with you today. Not to go through life miserable because you're trying to sacrifice it all to get more. But look at the next part. Find enjoyment in your toil. I don't think we ever tell people that, do we? There are lots of appeals to find work that you enjoy, and that's good advice. But in ancient times, you might not get to choose your profession. You did what your father did and what his father did and so on. Whatever our work, we're to find enjoyment in it. God could have created a world where we all just lay in hammocks. But finding enjoyment in work is part of God's good plan for us. That's one of the reasons we're to provide opportunities to serve here at Grace. Now, the phrase used here for find enjoyment is literally see the goodness in your work. See the people you can help. See the ways you can use your gifts. See the opportunities to display God's character in your life. Instead, I think we turn work into something it wasn't ever intended to be. Instead of being a source of enjoyment, we make work a means of status or wealth. We can turn work into a means of power or control. And when we do that, it makes everyone miserable. Now from there he says in verse 19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. People will invest years of their lives to gain wealth and possessions and never make time for the God who gives power to enjoy them. Contentment isn't something you earn with enough success or a certain income. In fact, you can't earn it at all. There's no recipe for it. It's a gift of the God who wants us to seek him. And look at the description of the person who receives the power to enjoy what he has. Verse 20 says, For he will not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Wouldn't you love for the problems and trials you're facing to fade from your memory because God kept you occupied with joy in your heart? Promotion can't do that. A pay increase won't give you that. Only a relationship with God can do that. Only a heart that seeks God can do that. That's why Jesus said, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Now, the story is told of an elderly man named Porolamo. He worked the market in Mexico City, and he had 20 strings of onions for sale. A tourist stopped and asked how much he would sell a string of onions for. Porolamo told him the price, 10 cents. How much for two strings, the tourist asked. 20 cents. Trying to understand the scale of the operation, the tourist asked, how much for all 20 strings? Porolamo replied, I wouldn't sell you my 20 strings. Tourists didn't understand. Why not? Aren't you here to sell your onions? The, the old merchant replied, no, I'm here to live my life. I love this marketplace. 
I love the crowds and the red serifs. I love the sunlight and the wavering palmettos. I love to have friends come by and say buenos dias and talk about babies and crops. That is my life. For that, I sit here all day and sell my 20 strings of onions. But if I sell all my onions to one customer, then my day is ended. I've lost the life I love and that I will not do. It feels like a different world, doesn't it? And I know what you're thinking. If I don't sell my 20 strings, I won't have a job tomorrow. And I get that. But I wonder whether in the pressure of our world, you and I haven't stopped looking for the enjoyment that God wants to give us in our jobs. I wonder whether we haven't become so fixated on selling our 20 strings that we sacrifice time with a God who can give us the power to enjoy selling them. Or whether we've stopped seeing God for his gift of contentment and believe the lie that satisfaction will come with 30 strings or 40 or 50. Before the Apostle Paul was converted, he was the most earnest religious person he knew. He was meticulous in following all the rules. But there was just one command that kept undoing him. Do you remember what it was? It was number 10, right? Do not covet. I wonder if that's the command that religious people particularly stumble with. Some of the most popular religious teachers in the world have turned coveting into an exercise of faith. But that doesn't make it any less of a sin. Do you think that the answer to your problems is another $50,000? Money's necessary, but it's a terrible lover. It can't comfort you. It won't satisfy you. And it ruins people who hoard it. That's why God commands us to give it away. He teaches us to live with less. And he warns us of the temptations that come with more. Paul taught Timothy that godliness with contentment is great gain. Our world keeps telling us that beauty with riches is great gain. Which of those messages have you believed? Which of those messages would people say is true of you? Which of those messages do your children see in you? Seek God for his gift of contentment. Seek God for the power to enjoy what you have. Seek him for the courage to give and to live with less. And see the good in your work. Even amidst the difficulties, God wants to bless you in your job. So look for his blessings and thank him for what you have. Contentment is his gift to those who seek him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who longs to see us satisfied and fulfilled in this life. You minister your truth to us in a world that keeps telling us the exact opposite things. And because of that, we feel the pull of more. Help us to see past those things that would lead us into lives of emptiness. Help us to be those who seek you for the power to enjoy what you have given. Help us to be grateful. Help us to see in a relationship with you, to see our world the way you see it, to see our lives the way you see them. Help us to see what you're doing to bless us in our jobs, to find enjoyment. And in finding that enjoyment to find you 
at work in and around us. Guide us in these things, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I hope this message has helped you to see that satisfaction is found in God's gift of contentment and given you the hunger to seek him for it. If today's talk has stirred up questions or you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, leave a comment, share the link, and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.